0: This is Too Much Grit to Quit. Sports personalities Shelly Till and Dave O'Hara bring you non-sugar-coated stories of the famous, not-so-famous, and everyday hometown heroes who have overcome adversity and incredible challenges to achieve success.
1: Too Much Grit to Quit. Discover the key to unlock the chains that keep you from achieving your dreams. Please
0: subscribe, like, share,
1: and download today. Hello, welcome in to Too Much Grit to Quit. I am Shelley Till alongside my co-host and friend Dave O'Hara, and we are happy to have you along for this ride. Once again this week, we've had some amazing guests and have had a lot of fun getting to know the guests, getting to know you, our followers, and um, really had a lot of fun with our promo that we did with Mr. George Kittle and his 2018 season glove giveaway.
2: Yeah. And you know, it's interesting, Shelley, that we see the views and the comments and you know, we talk about this every week, and listeners, I want you to know this, and so does Shelly. We don't take that lightly. So the fact that that, that that you are so involved and you participated, but your feedback is so important to us, and we talk about it and George does in the videos, too, on our Instagram, and, and also it's carried on our Twitter and Facebook, but it just, it's so cool. We think the SRR, which is subscribe, review, and rate, and the feedback we get from you really motivates Shelly and myself. And we have a congratulations for a guy that, won. Is really a busy guy in his own right and does a great job in supporting us and George and what he does with his uh, website. But I am not going to do a spoiler alert. I'm going to step back and do a just listeners envision or uh, listen to a drum roll in your head. We don't have the the budget to insert a drum roll here, but Shelley is going to give the winner's name and talk a little bit about that person. And I'm going to step aside, Shelley.
1: Yeah, we uh, for those of you who are curious, we did post all of this. Um, actually, George Fiddle did a. Uh, intro for us for the winner of the glove giveaway and we ran that throughout the entire um, OTA season of the NFL. He was so gracious to offer up a pair of autographed gloves from his record setting season as a Pro Bowl tight end who set the record for um, yards for a tight end in a season. But the winner of that, his Twitter and Instagram handle are at Niner Alex and Alex Tran is his Official full name, but Alex, um, a huge 49er fan, as you can all imagine. I know every one of you that entered was a huge 49er slash Hawkeye slash George Kittle fan, <laughs> and so um, it was. We had a, a lot of great entrants, but Alex, your gloves are on the way, and I know that he is going to be super geeked to mm-hmm. receive those babies uh, in the mail. Um, Alex also, actually, as I'm looking at his Instagram site here, has. A official website called NinersNation.com. So he is truly uh, a fan of the 49ers. So congratulations to Alex Tran and thank you once again to George Kittle for helping
2: us out. you know, And and you can say that because you're his mother-in-law, but also for me, I just think that for what he did was so magnanimous and people think, oh, well, it's just a pair of gloves. No, you got to go see the video because George, uh, to true George form, boy, does he, uh, he loves the camera, the camera loves him. Did you like that, Shelley, where he goes, and here it is. Is his voice inflection and the hands moving and yeah that's why I yeah. stepped aside because I didn't want to give it away and of course they could have they, obviously a lot of our listeners have seen already who won but uh, I, that's why I said uh, Alex you better post this on your website and I thought well I better stop before I give it away so yeah you better <laughs> put us on there Alex and give us a little love give George obviously the the shout out because uh, man uh, thanks to you Shelley but also uh, to George that was really cool and we got great listener response and but again I just love the way George played it up on the video and. I think he had as much fun with it as we uh, as we did, Shelly, and the listeners.
1: I think he did. And the funny <laughs> story behind that is that George was actually at the U.S. Open the day wow. he posted that. So I was like, hey, we need to get this announced today. <laughs> and he's, he's going, oh, yeah, no problem. And so we kind of went back and forth, and there was a little bit of a miscommunication as to who was doing what. And, you know, when you go to those professional golf mm-hmm. tournaments, You can't take your cell phone in there. No. So they make you shut them down. And so anyway, long story short, we had to wait a little longer. And so uh, thank you for the patience of everyone who was on the edge of their seat to see who won. But we finally got it done.
2: And let's just say Shelley to sell the drama. The historic Pebble Beach in the Bay Area, it's just south of San Francisco, Carmel by the Sea. Uh, been there many times. Played there a couple of times. Love it. Let's just say for the listeners, the historic, the people who are historical golf fans like I am. It was at the tap room, the 19th hole, the famous tap room. So we'll say George stepped aside because, yeah, you're right, Shelly. You once you get on the course, I saw a couple players step off the tee this week uh, because somebody either didn't have it on vibrate, and I just was like, wow, they snuck their phone in because normally they don't even let you do that. I've, I've bussed in there for tournaments before where you saw the buses in the background, and you know this too, Shelly. And they'll just say, you know, we need your phone or put it here, put it here, or, you know. And there are a couple of players you could hear phones ringing or a chirping of a phone, and players would step back and go, "Come on, you know, shut it off or put it on vibrate." And to your point, uh, George going above and beyond—boy, he's making his mother-in-law happy. I told him, "Happy wife, happy life," but happy mother-in-law, even even happier life, Shelly. So you're That's you're working great. him. I love it. That
1: was good advice. That was Good advice. <laughs> He also had a brush with, uh, he's still such a fan fanboy; it cracks me up, but uh, they were watching Zach Johnson mm-hmm. uh, play the course, and Zach recognized George from, you know, Zach's a huge Hawkeye fan, obviously, and so he came over and shook his hand and congratulated him on a great season, and uh, so that was kind of cool, George was was. Fanning out about
2: that one. <laughs> well, and I got to give one more shout out. Besides our Iowa guy, is Zach Johnson, Iowa golfer, uh, born in Cedar Rapids, Iowa City, raised in that area, went to Drake, and then, you know, is now based out of Florida. But another Iowa guy, Shelley, we got to talk about and something near and dear to our hearts with basketball. Carol Kemper, Catholic's very own, and University of Northern Iowa. Plus, he coached the Iowa Energy and in an El Paso and overseas. But congratulations to Iowa native Nick Nurse winning the national, or national, well, I guess national for the Raptors, but winning the world title for the NBA champion Toronto Raptors as their head coach in his first year. How about that, another Iowan succeeding beyond the call of duty, Shelly?
1: I know, amazing. And what uh, what is even greater about that story is uh, the fact that it's Toronto's first ever yes. NBA championship. And so... Uh, it's just fun. It was fun to watch. I mean, you saw that in the NHL when the with the St. Louis Blues winning mm-hmm. their first ever NHL NHL title. And these are communities that have just completely embraced their team. And so the you know, and I I I love the Warriors. I love Steph Curry. I love KD. I I love what they do, the product they put on the floor. But you know, the Warriors, everybody's. It, they get people get tired of watching the same teams win over and over. I don't have a problem with it, but it was just fun to see the newness and the appreciation that their fan base both for st louis and for the raptors had so yeah congratulations to nick nurse that's pretty amazing uh Uh, iowa boy does it big
2: yeah big time and shelly i got a full disclosure for you as well and uh before i get there i want to let everybody know you're listening to too much grit to quit my friend and co-host shelly till i'm dave O'Hara, and uh we have our guest today is alex mcmurtry and I won't get into the full accolades. Stay tuned for the second segment, and Shelly will give the full proper introduction. But this young lady, unbelievable, going into the physician's assistant program right now post uh, her graduation and and her uh, collegiate uh, national championship. at the University of Florida, but also has the gym slam. And Shelly's going to explain that in full detail uh, in the next segment. So I'm not going to say any more than that. But I will say this to you, Shelley: full disclosure, uh, you know that I do a, a weekly baseball shows as well on National League Central, the Cubs, Cardinals, that type of thing. And my St. Louis Cardinal reporters, Shelly, do you realize in the last two and three weeks and then even last week, I was we would do the first five meg- first five minutes of a segment on the Cardinals and all these guys would talk about was the Blues. Now Shelley, these guys are old enough to know better too because they're they're in their middle early to middle fifties. So they remembered when the Blues started off fifty two years ago and lost in their second year or third year forty nine years ago to the Bruins in Forest straight. and it was kinda like, oh well they're an expansion team, they really didn't belong there. These people were so genuinely happy, these guys who are lifelong Cardinal reporters, that they were talking about the Blues for five minutes <laughs> before they even got to the Cardinals, Shelly. So your congratulations is well-placed well for those folks. So congrats to Nick Nurse, but also to the St. Louis Blues and the community of St. Louis. You know, being here in Southeast Iowa as I am, it's just so funny, Shelly, in June to hear people walk up to you and go, Go Blues! And we're talking the middle <laughs> baseball season. So go figure
1: yeah no kidding well it's you know sports is that thing that that brings people together brings communities together and and like i said i think it's just really a neat thing that there have been two communities that have been able mm-hmm. to participate in that type of feeling and activity
2: yeah you're you're definitely on that and i like you i like the warriors i lived in the bay area for a while over the last uh, within the last five years and I told you the story before off the air, and I'll say it on the air. Shelly, I was going to games back in the day, and we're not talking that long ago. So I love these people that come out, The Johnny come lately. He's, no, I've loved the Warriors forever. And you mentioned Rick Barry, and they'll say, who? Uh, no, he's just a Hall of Famer when they won their title in 73, 74. But, you know, it, it's so amazing to me that five years ago, or six years ago, and Mark Jackson was there, and Steph and Clay, the Splash Brothers, had just gotten there. And Shelly, as you remember, Clay had still does. Or, excuse me, Steph still did have the foot problems, ankles and feet, and uh, was able Able to get past that and playing more games, but when Mark Jackson was coaching him, and Shelley, I'm not kidding you, we had floor seats and we were paying less than 80 bucks for them each, and we were sitting wow. within an arm's length of Mark Jackson. I'd always look at my buddy Chris and go, Hey, do you want to coach the team? But yet, it's kind of like when Wilt Chamberlain, sc- you know, I w- we weren't even born then, but when Wilt Chamberlain scored his 100-point games. Do you realize, Shelley, that there's probably 100,000 people that will tell you that they were at that game and it wasn't even televised and it was in 1962 or 3 or whenever it was, early 60s, Hershey, Pennsylvania, and Chamberlain scored 100 points and there were only 4,500 people in attendance. So, most of those people, I won't call them liars, but I'll just say they definitely embellished their story. I'll just say that. So, But to, <laughs> but to your point about the Warriors, isn't it crazy like with the Patriots when a team is that successful and has a great run there's a lot of fans that don't like that if their team doesn't get in that that greatness that the Warriors showed uh to that to your point about that Shelly and the Patriots or any team like that that a we got to call it a dynasty right I mean in the last five years you go to you go to three championships and oh what might have been when they lost to Cleveland and now to to Toronto this year but hey I wanted to to dovetail before we get too uh, sidetracked I want to dovetail back into a Again, and you talked about it last week when you were in North Carolina at Duke and you, you spoke at a, um, at a presentation and a great event and you had a couple other coaches, uh, uh, your peer group, and, and uh, you had a couple of follow-ups. And I thought you had very interesting tidbits that you shared with me off the air. And if you don't mind, I'd really appreciate you bringing that on the air because, boy, I think it really hits home to what we're doing here on Too Much Grit to Quit. But not just showing grit, but how sometimes we can just get transformed as an individual or an athlete into societal norms or what people tell us we should be or shouldn't be. And I think you really hit the nail on the head with this off the air. So if you don't mind bringing this on here, Shelly, I, I would, really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, sure. I uh, had the opportunity to follow up with um, some coaches from uh, the moving up conference, which was a coaches conference, that uh, it, it, we had a very diverse group in terms of uh, sports and, and male, female, and even experience levels. So that was a lot of fun, but, One of the things that came up was all these uh, were in June. And so a lot of the new faces, the new freshmen, the incoming new players are arriving on campuses and going through orientation. And then there's team workouts and conditioning and whatnot. And so it's the first real opportunity for coaches to get some time with the people that they've recruited. And it's the first opportunity for those new faces to merge and mesh with the returning veteran players and you know that can be uh, as a freshman and i remember this going in uh, as a freshman that can be a very daunting mm-hmm. time uh, because it's the first time you're leaving home for many people it's the first time they're away from their support system and we're going to hear about the importance of a support system when we talk to alex mcmurtry in the next segment but uh it's it's physically emotionally and mentally exhausting for a lot of people And this particular coach I was talking to actually happens to coach at the junior college level. And we got talking about the, uh, talk about diversity. I mean, there's just such a diversity in players and in people that come onto your campus and they're coming from all over the country, from all different backgrounds, all different home lives. And unfortunately, a lot of times when you're dealing with any level, but I even think it's probably more profound at the junior college level, you're, you're working with athletes who have been told that they're not good enough, mm-hmm. whether that's in their sport or whether that's in the classroom. Um, it's a message that they receive a lot. And for some of them, uh, going the junior college route, isn't what they planned on doing, but it's the best route for them at the time. And I'm not putting any, uh, I'm not putting junior college down at, at, at all. I'm saying that thank God there's junior colleges available for people to um, either get better at their sport or to get better in the classroom, and give them that second chance. If playing for four years uh, at a big at a four year institution is their goal, yeah. but what happens is those players come in, and they're already having an identity crisis because everyone else has told them who they are or who they aren't. Yeah, and so it's hard for them to adjust and then learn a new system. And so we talked a lot about a thing that I called that we called bridge the gap, and. Who bridges that gap from freshmen coming in, you know, leaving their home life and and their safety or what they've known for 18 years to now you're a college student? Who bridges the gap from the kind of player they were to the kind of player they want to be? Who bridges the gap from teaching them the skills necessary to become a better basketball, football, volleyball, whatever their sport is, but also who bridges the gap to nurturing and paying attention and coaching the mental and the emotional stuff that they bring with them. Yeah. And who, who does that or who should be doing that is the coach. Yeah. And the coach has that much impact on a player's life. And so shifting the, the lens from, Hey, I got to get these guys in here and teach them this game. Cause we got to win games and I got to develop players and I got to get them scholarships at the next level or I've got to, you know, win this championship so that I can get this bonus or we got to go to the the conference tournament or the NCAA tournament or whatever it is. None of that matters in the big scheme of things. I know that there's big bucks on the table. And I said this at the conference. I said, you know, I'm going to say something that might not be real popular at a coaching conference, but I really don't give a crap if you win a game. I don't care what your win loss record is. I care the impact that you're making on these young men and women and who they are when they walk out the door after you've had the privilege of coaching them for two years or four years. Yeah, and so that whole concept of bridging the gap and being that transitional coach, that person who can really make an impact and become a support system for a young man or woman as they enter through the door, is so incredibly important. Yes. And the last thing I'll say about that, Dave, is just the the impact that it has on on mental health. And I know we talked about this in a couple different episodes, but it has become such a major part of college athletics. And in fact, there was a study done by the chief or the chief medical officer at the NCAA came out in 2013 and declared mental health as the number one health and safety concern amongst athletes in the NCAA. Yeah. So this is a real thing, and it's something that needs to be addressed. And it, we, and I can still call myself we, because once you're a coach, you're a coach. Mm-hmm. We have to give this topic attention it deserves but we as coaches cannot pass the buck we can't say oh you just need to get to mental health and counseling services on campus they'll help you because that's not what it is about we are here to bridge the gap for these players and we have got to get invested in who they are as people and support them to become the people that they need to be to succeed in life. I would
2: agree with you on that 100% in my personal experience. And again, things have changed over the years, but I'll age myself here on the air by saying I had letters to walk on at Iowa when Lou Dolson was coaching. So that, that, that gives you an age range of where I am. And Iowa State back in the day, same thing play basketball. I was on, uh, my name was mentioned on a Johnny Orr's show. But societally too, Shelly, not just the coaches and your families, and this is where it helped me. Well, I, we, we waited too long. We didn't have a recruitment tape out, all these other things. I was from a very small school, and my high school coach just was not familiar. He had never had a player that was being recruited uh, that heavily in myself. It, you know, it was normally just D3 in Northeast Iowa area of either like uh, Wartburg or Luther College, small four-year schools, and there's nothing wrong with those. But I was getting letters, and at least to walk on or partial scholarships at some D1 programs, and he had never dealt with that before. And so we, we missed deadlines and this and this. And we were just kind of waiting to see where would be the best location. Had it not been, to your exact point of, of Greg Bosch, my coach and athletic director at Kirkwood Community College, who, what you just said. Because I, I would get people that I know they were wanting to wish me well in my small Northeast Iowa community. But here's what I heard, Shelly. Ah, I can't believe you're going to Kirkwood. What happened? You know, it wasn't, hey, good for you, congratulations, you're going to, you know, a, a very nice junior college and a and a good experience. It was, they were almost like, I could hear the disappointment and see it in their reaction. It was somewhat congratulatory, but I immediately fell into that. I wasn't depressed, but I definitely was like, well, that wasn't what I <laughs> was expecting. And if my coach had just said, here, here's a card, go see this counselor on campus. But he took to your point about a coaching and about bridging the gap, I, I think you have so hit the nail on the head with that phraseology because well, academically I was fine athletically, I was fine, but just you're exactly right, it was so overlooked of just that oh wow, you know the the level of expectation, not just for myself but other people, I really felt like I let some people down, but he really helped me through that, and I think you said that so adequate or so appropriately when you said it's not just going to a counselor, these coaches, as you mentioned, about winning games, losing games. If he hadn't been there for me, I'm not sure how that would have turned out. But had it not been through his guidance, uh, to your exact point, it's what got me through and really made me feel good about my decision.
1: Yeah, and I I just I'm so that's why I love doing this this podcast because we can bring players, former athletes, on to say who who did this for you or who didn't do this for you and what was the effect of it. You know, because there's there are more great coaches than there are not. I believe, Mm -hmm. but boy, the ones um, that don't get that and the ones that don't take that to heart and really understand the privilege that they have with the impact, um, there's a lot of damage that can be done, and it takes a lot of uh, effort to undo that kind of damage. And so, you know, I'm just of the belief that why not enter into a, a situation in any kind of leadership role and be a ser- be of service to others. I To me, the greatest leadership is servant leadership. And yeah. the way you serve people is by finding out what their needs are, finding out about them, investing in them, understanding where they come from and why they think the way they think, and then figuring out ways to connect and communicate with them in a way that makes them thrive. You know, it's like watering the plant. Give it the right water, the right fertilizer that it needs. And it'll bloom beyond your wildest imagination.
2: Well, and you're right. And both those gentlemen in my life have since retired. And my high school coach, Paul Yumblet and as I mentioned, Greg Boschman, Athletic Director and Coach at Kirkwood, are still two very good friends of mine to this day. Now, they were so young in their young coaching careers. They're only both about ten, 50, about 12, 15 years older than me. But I still uh, I consider them as close friends to this day and keep in co- constant contact and see them at least a couple times a year. So, Shelley, when you said that about personal contact and taking a personal interest, that could not have been more truer for me, and those are two of the biggest influences, besides my family, in my life, athletically or otherwise, and boy, you had so hit the nail on the head when you said that, you worded that perfectly, taking a personal interest, and I thank those two gentlemen very much, and I thank you for, for bringing that up, because I think that is so important in today's day and age, as you mentioned, while I worried about making money for the college and winning games and and getting the exposure, the media attention that they feel they need, but that personal connection you mentioned, Shelly, kudos to you.
1: Yeah, and it's it's priceless. And and I'll mention that I had two people in my life uh, that did the same thing for me, and they were coaches. What at, Mine happened young, thankfully, for me. But my middle school coach, her name was Gay Wilker, uh, got me turned on to the sport of basketball, and she's the first person that would take me to the University of Iowa to watch college women basketball wow. yeah. play. And then uh, my high school coach for four years, Bill Hafer, who sadly is no longer in coaching, um, but he lives in Minneapolis with his, and has raised a beautiful family. But that man completely saved my life in terms of um, just pushing me, investing in me, understanding um, what I needed when I needed it before I even realized I needed it. Yeah. And to this day, I can pick up the phone if I am in need advice, if I'm trying to make a, a major life decision, or I just need a pick-me-up, I will call him. And I am not kidding you. Within 90 seconds, that man has me believe that I can climb Mount Everest.
2: That's awesome. That's
1: just how amazing he is. And so I just encourage people to either be that for someone else or find someone like that in your corner because you, you need those people throughout your whole life, not just in sports.
2: I can't say it any better than that. I can't prove upon what you just said. Agree 100% with you, Shelly. So let's do this. Let's run to a break. And again, great topic. I'm really glad you brought that up on the air and off the air. So thanks for sharing that. And I was uh, glad to share my, uh, my experience as well. So, hey, listeners, this is Too Much Grit to quit. She's Shelly Till. I'm Dave O'Hara. And we'll be back with Alex McMurtry. And, oh, what an impressive story. I can't wait for you to hear her introduction that Shelly gives for the next segment because uh, Shelly read it to me off the air of what she's going to say, and, and it hits her very well. But I'll say this, a national champion gymnast from the University of Florida now in a dental assistant program, and she accomplished the, um, the gym slam. So again, listen for more details on what that is. So back with the ever popular much, much more on Too Much Grit to Quit in just a few moments.
1: Hello, welcome back to Too Much Grit to Quit. And I'm Shelley Till with my co-host Dave O'Hara. And wow, do we have a powerhouse of a guest for you today. I am so excited to Alex McMurtry. And I'm just going to go through just a small bit of Alex's accomplishments because the list is very long, people. But I'm just going to sh- throw out some of the highlights. And Alex, you can talk about the rest. But Alex is an elite level 10 gymnast she graduated from the university of florida and get this she is the 2017 all around ncaa champion so we are amongst a champion people and in (laughs) in 2018 alex won the gold on the vault in both the sec championships and the ncaa gymnastics championship championship excuse me she was awarded the ncaa's today's top 10 award And I love this, Alex. This is like big time. One of only 11 women to record a gym slam. And I will be honest, I had to look up what a gym slam (laughs) meant. I knew what a grand slam was, but a gym Mm -hmm. slam for you, for anybody that is ignorant to the gymnastics terminology like me, is a perfect 10 on each apparatus. That is just absolutely incredible. I could go on and on, but Alex, welcome
0: to (laughs) Too Much Grit to Quit. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be
2: here. Well, Alex, I will say this to oh. Shelley's point. Uh, beyond blown away, and so we got so much to get to, and I'm going to step aside. But yeah, I echo everything Shelley has said. It's been great communicating with you to set this up. And listeners, I'll let you know. And, and Shelley and I talked about this off the air. Alex doesn't have any free time, but what little she had, she was able to squeeze us in. So can't begin before I pass this off to Shelley again. Can't say thank you enough, to, uh, Alex. Really appreciate it. Of course.
1: Well, Alex, we um we're gonna we're gonna get into all of your gymnastics accolades. But for right now, I just want you to just start off and tell us you you um, ended your gymnastics, your professional, your career last summer. Is that correct?
0: Yes, so graduated from UF in August. Um, national championships was actually in April, so that was the end of my career as a collegiate athlete. And I've been working in dermatology ever since. I want to go, Into becoming a physician assistant so that's kind of what's next for me but yeah i've I've been done for about a year now
1: oh very good and so um i have to ask with given all of the Mm -hmm. accolades that you have accomplished um was there any desire attempt or kind of what 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 was the um role if you will or the path in terms of a uh, i know you were in the junior olympics but was there any Mm -hmm. desire to continue on or did you Decide. You know what? I've accomplished a lot, and it's time that I want to take on a new challenge.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting for the sport of gymnastics, girls reach their peak around 15, 16 years old. So in terms of training for the Olympics, it was most of my eighth grade, ninth grade year where I was full fledged Olympics in sight. That was my goal, at least. Um, and I reached a point where where I kind of got a little burnt out. I knew I needed a new challenge, and I made the decision to shift my gaze towards um, collegiate gymnastics instead. Um, So then collegiate gymnastics is kind of our end all. Um, That's the fun part. And as we get older in the sport, which unfortunately 20 years old is is considered old in the sport. um, That's crazy, by the way. blows
1: my mind. You do do watch them on TV, and everyone Mm -hmm. is just so young.
0: Right, right. So my body was kind of done before my mind was. Um, I would struggled with some back fractures throughout my career. So when it came to my senior year, I had to come to terms with, you know, this is time for my body and my mind to be done and, and set my sights on a career path after gymnastics.
2: You know, it's interesting, Alex, and again, w- w- with you joining us, we uh, want to thank our good friend Josie Kuhlman, uh, your former mm-hmm. roommate at University of Florida, and she set this up initially, so uh, tip of the cap to uh, Josie as well. And, you know, it's so interesting, uh, Shelly and I are both in the state of Iowa, not together geographically today, but we are in the state of Iowa, we Iowa natives. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Sean Johnson Easton, when you mentioned Olympics, and, you know, so Sean uh, is a uh, an Iowa native, and, you know, uh, we, we're so fascinated, by like, as you and Shelly and I were just blown away by at 20 years old, you're pretty much done. And <laughs> right. so, you know, you mentioned back fractures. And so we think about physical injuries. And, and this to me is where you said something that just blows me away to this day. The amount of injuries, we think football with back fracture, right? Or we think these big, burly mm-hmm. guys with this. But you, uh, the, the tiny or the sm- physically small ladies like yourself, and we see Sean Johnson, and just you throwing your body around. To me, I, I would have to think the mental, dis- you know, the discipline we talk about. But i, I got to give you mad props and, and everybody of, of your type. The, the fear factor, you, you ladies or and gentlemen who are in gymnastics, the lack of fear just blows me away. Is that something where you just say you got to put that away since you're eight years old or six years old and you train like that? You know, again, we think a hulking football players being so brave and bravado, but the lack of fear that you show is just is. is so I presume that's just ingrained. You either have it or you don't from the young age up.
0: Yeah, I actually was put into the sport because I was a little daredevil, even at the age of <laughs> two and three. So I would climb on top of our cabinets. My parents actually wow. caught me climbing on top of the the beam that goes across the swing set. So my parents <laughs> actually put me into the sport to teach me how to fall wow. in case I were to ever get hurt. So I guess that's just something I was born with, but growing up, growing up in gymnastics... A coach would tell me to try something and I would go try it and <laughs> if I face planted I'd get up and try it again. So I think it was maybe not the smartest of ideas, but that's that's definitely been something that is associated with my personality. I'll try anything and Uh, If I don't get it right the first time, I'll keep trying until I do.
2: Well, Shelly, you'll forgive me. I think of guys like your son-in-law, George Kittle, again, when you think of back fractures or major injuries, and not that George has had that. Thank thank goodness he hasn't had that happen. But I know you and I were talking off the air, Shelly. I mean, that's just amazing, the lack of fear that that, that, uh, Alex shows.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Alex, I was curious, you know, obviously gymnastics, uh, gymnasts have to start at a very, very young age. You mentioned two Mm -hmm. and three, and your parents got you into it, but talk about the um the mindset i want to talk about the mental side of being an an elite athlete a gymnast at such Mm -hmm. a young age most professional athletes we're talking about they're in their 20s in their 30s when they're playing professional sports but you are training at an elite professional level as a teenager and Mm -hmm. on top of it you know the teenage brain it's is not fully developed um it's a very emotional driven type of um emotional brain state if you will and just you you said i'd fall on my face and i'd get right back up (laughs) i want to know uh kind of where that came from but also i'm sure in order to develop that resiliency because that's what that is you had to have people around you that were cheering you on supporting you allowing you to make those mistakes so talk about the impact that either your coaches parents or your support group had in helping you develop that resiliency
0: yeah, definitely. So, um, like I said, I started very young. Never really looked back until that emotional state in, in high school where <clears throat> I experienced my first back fractures. Um, I had to stay out of the gym for about three to four months. And when I got back into the gym, I had grown about six inches. So... To my dismay, every skill felt different. Every skill got scary. And that's where my support system, um, mostly my family, kind of came into play. And they never were that family that wanted to push me every step of the way. They just wanted me to have fun. And they actually never did gymnastics. They don't know that much about gymnastics. And I think I preferred it that way. So Mm -hmm. I'd get in the car. They'd say, how was practice? I'd say, good. And that was kind of the end of that. So I appreciated the divide between... My family and friends, kind of in the school aspect, and then my gym friends and my coaches because um, my coaches and my teammates were able to push me when I needed to be pushed in the gym, and my family was able to, to push me and support me outside of the gym and, and help with my um, personal development and all that, and I think that really benefited um, my mental state knowing that mm-hmm. I had four hours in the gym to train and become the best athlete I could be, and then that I could kind of let relax for a little bit. Um, obviously, in college athletics, it all blends together, but um, at that point, I was able to deal with it. So, my parents definitely played a huge role um, in that aspect, and also they made it clear that I was a student before I was an athlete. And um, I think I thank them every day for for pushing me in academics, because, you know, gymnastics ended when I was twenty two, and I've got a whole life ahead of me. So, um, it was the combination of being smart enough. Um, to know my limits and pushing myself in the gym, and then coming home and just trying to pretend like I was a normal kid. <laughs>
1: I want to follow up to that um, because, again, I mean, a, a back fracture is a major setback mm-hmm. physically, and then mm-hmm. you, and then on top of it, yeah, I didn't know that you mentioned you grew six inches. By the way, that's why I'm not a gymnast because I'm <laughs> too tall. Just so you know, because I really yeah, did and have an aspiring career can
0: be five four, but on a good day. <laughs> um, but what?
1: tell me about a time during that maybe it was that period or maybe some other time where Mm -hmm. you kind of because we all have these every athlete has those moments where they feel like I can't do this anymore it's time to hang it up or it's too hard or you just that doubt creeps in and you just uh you just maybe it's fear or whatever it is but tell me about a time where you maybe felt doubt or fear creep into your mindset
0: definitely so um The major instance of that comes to mind is um, after I thought I had gotten through some of the hardest parts of my high school career and fought back from the injury, I decided to graduate a year early um, from high school and head off to University of Florida when I was 17. So at first it sounded awful. You know, I'd miss all the pinnacle parts of high school, like being a senior, as as if it was that important at the time. But when I finally made the decision, I get to UF and... Um, obviously, my back fractures are still there. Um, the doctors and physical therapists and trainers didn't know how to handle it. So they sat me out for another three to four months. And at that time, I think it was one of the hardest times of my college career because that support system that I loved so much back in Virginia um, mm-hmm. was no longer there. They were all going to senior homecoming and football games and all those things It felt like I was missing out on. Um, and I just sat on the stationary bike. For three hours a day as I watched my new college team train without me. Um, and that put me in tears all the time. I thought I had made the wrong decision to graduate early, um, thought I might even medical my freshman year. And it just took a lot of willpower, a lot of trusting in the process to to say that, OK, my back will heal. I'll come back to it. Um, and I didn't understand what what God was doing to me until mm-hmm. we won that national championship my freshman year and I was the last competitor up on bars to, to take that championship and I think that's when you understand I was still only 17 and that's when you understand that there's bigger plans than the plans you're making and and I was so thankful I graduated early and I had sat on that stationary bike for for three months and I was so glad I fought my hardest to come back uh, and I think that injury in high school just prepared me mentally and physically to come back again in college.
2: Well, I don't, I don't specific. Let... Well, right. Shelly, I got to jump David. in. Yeah, no, I got to jump in real quick. We have got a couple minutes mm-hmm. left for this segment, and then we'll come back with another segment with Alex McMurtry. Mm-hmm. And want to let you know you're listening to Too Much Grit to Quit. My friend and co-host Shelly Till. I'm Dave O'Hara, and we have Alex McMurtry. Uh, able to have the gym slam and we're going to get more into that, but also a national champion. Very well accomplished and now uh, going through life uh, and, and now getting into her training as a physician's assistant. But in the last yeah. two minutes we have with this segment, and again Alex, uh, we'll bring it back for a second segment and greatly appreciate you holding over. But in the last couple minutes we have with this segment uh, for this uh, week, I wanted to ask you when you mentioned about having that injury and, and questioning your decision. And again, this show is all about grit and using your pain, whether it be physical, mental, or or both uh, for a principle and moving forward. You know, is, is that something, again, when you talk about having something set you back, and we talk about the mental aspect of this, that tend to, it seems to me like it motivated you even more so than just you clipping along, leaving a year early, that a little bit of that self-doubt creeped in, crept in, and not just your family's support, but your own support system kicked in, and you're like, I'm going to make this happen. To me, it seems mm-hmm. like that, was that a, a natural thing or something you had to cognizantly say, I really got to stay focused on this.
0: Yeah, it was more of a personal decision to say, I'm not going through this physical, mental mental torture for nothing, you know. (laughs) I am here for a reason, and and I'm going to come back to be that strong gymnast that I am. So it definitely I had something to prove. Um, I was so jealous of the girls out there training Mm -hmm. when I was sitting on my stationary bike, and and that made it all more worth it. Um, And the day I was released, I was out there training slowly, obviously, but uh, I wanted to get out there every single day and just had to – prepare myself mentally. I'd sit there and just go through mental sets until I could make them physical
2: sets perfect so taking that using that as fuel so hey listeners uh we're going to come back with another segment again with Shelly Till I'm Dave O'Hara we have Alex McMurtry joining us and again we ask that you please subscribe this podcast as you have been so great in giving Shelly and and myself some feedback also uh review us and rate us and we greatly appreciate that and we talked about that in the first segment we'll get more into that towards the end of the show so we'll be back with more Too Much Grit to Quit with Alex McMurtry in just a few moments
1: welcome back to too much good to quit i am Shelley till along with my co-host dave o'hara and we are joined by alex mcmurtry she is a graduate from the university of florida was a ncaa champion gymnast um, all-around amazing athlete academic uh, prowess and alex is currently training to be a phys- physician's assistant and we're just happy to have you along again for this third segment but alex you mentioned something before the break that i just want to touch on real quickly Because this is this is Mm -hmm. the kind of stuff. The reason I I want to do this podcast. Um, You made a comment uh, that you went through mental sets when you had your back injury and you were sitting out. You went through mental sets until you could do them physically. This is something that, Mm -hmm. as a coach, I have utilized uh, in the world of basketball. uh, In terms of people can relate to this from a free throw shooting free throws. I've always told my players, my kids, shoot free throws mentally in your mind. If you're injured take the shots mentally in your mind because your body your brain doesn't Mm -hmm. know the difference so just can you expand upon what that practice looked like for you what do you mean by that when you went through mental sets until you could do them physically
0: definitely so um sitting there wishing i could do this do the actual events i would close my eyes and go through them um each routine each skill um sometimes it was hard because I struggle with being an optimist, so I always would see myself crashing and burning, and then I would have to redo it a hundred times in my head correctly, Um, so it definitely took some practice to get there, um, to be able to do that mental rehearsal, but it became a very important tool, even when I was healthy again, um, I trained less than any collegiate athlete out there, Um, sometimes I only had one chance to to hit my routine, because that's all my back allowed. So I knew I had to hit that one routine. Um, it was either with my eyes closed that I would visualize it or I would actually look at the equipment and visualize myself up on the equipment doing it. Um, so yeah, like I said, took some practice but definitely became one of the most important tools in my career um, to really be a consistent athlete and hit it when that when that time mattered.
2: And you know, Alex, I when I, when I... You know, asked you that question and what Shelly followed up on when I said about the mental steps that you went through because a lot of athletes don't even realize and so especially at 17 years old you graduated from high school a year early that's really impressive that you were able to slow it down like like Shelly had mentioned usually we all need a coach or an adult someone far more advanced and experienced than ourselves to say and that's what the listeners are hearing too because I think a lot of us go through life and it either kicks in or it doesn't but the fact that you had that discipline to say to yourself okay I've got to practice this as much Mentally as I do physically, extremely uh-huh. impressive. So as we go on, and and I know Shelly and I are going to go back and forth with your your career up to this point, being a national champion and, a, and having the the uh, the gym slam instead of the grand slam. I love that that it's uh-huh. focused to gymnastics. But you know when you talk about being a physician's assistant, and, I, and I'm not playing, I'm not interviewing you for a job, but you appear to me to be obviously very motivated. So is physician's assistant. And I'm not asking you to lay your future out here, but I think I know where this is going. But you're training to be or and studying to be a physician's assistant now. But is that leading on your way? Uh, and you mentioned dermatology. And I know there's a lot of uh, strains and different divisions that can go off into for dermatology. But are you looking at going mm-hmm. into being a full, full-fledged doctor at some point and also maybe research into skin cancer and cancer and those type of things? Or what is the career path that you've got set ahead? Because i got to believe you're thinking a little farther ahead than just your near future
0: definitely so I came into into undergrad knowing I wanted to do something in health science knowing I loved medicine and actually with the gymnastics program we were not able to do the nursing program which that's what I set my sights on and it actually ended up being a blessing um, because we weren't able to spend long hours in the hospital. So I was like, okay, I'll just get an undergrad. Um, So my undergrad was in applied physiology and kinesiology, which gave me prereqs to kind of go to any postgraduate school Mm -hmm. um, in medicine. So I really thought for a while, I've had a lot of people tell me I should go to medical school. And for the life I want, I just, I really think physician assistant PA will be the best route. Um, I grew up in a family that, made me want to have a family of my own and not to say you can't do that as a doctor, but, um, PA school is two years. Um, I'll be able to see my own patients, uh, do little procedures on my own, which is what I see in my office and, um, and be able to, you know, help people the way I want to help them as a PA. Um, so I thought that was the best career path for me. Um, I actually don't love being in school for for years and years and years. <laughs> no, so I I'm think living. that helps my decision. Sure but um, I think just trying to keep a balanced life for my for my whole life even as a gymnast um, I focus on being a part of my family being a part of a friends group um, being a student and an athlete and I think that balanced life I aimed for up until now is what I'm going to aim for my whole life um, and that's just the career path I chose whether it's in dermatology or not um, there's some not so luxurious parts of dermatology when it comes to to all that gross stuff like you see on dr Uh pimple popper but (laughs) 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 Uh, i'll see whatever whatever specialty i love in pa school hopefully i can find a job in that specialty and as a pa you kind of have free reign of what you want whatever you can get a job in is what i'll end up in
2: I love that. I was going to go there as a joke with the old Seinfeld and you went there. Seinfeld called the pop, pimple popper and then the TV show. So, hey, uh, Shelly, that's that balance, life balance we talk about with our guests. And uh, there it is right there for you, Shelly.
1: Yeah, I love that you mentioned that balance because I think some so many people can get caught up in just specializing and devoting every single hour of their life mm-hmm. to whatever their sport is. So, Alex, I just want you, in terms of your career, now that you're, you're I know, know you're used to studying and you're obviously very good at it, but when you look back at all of your experiences as a gymnast uh, and the commitment and the dedication and the hours upon hours that you have put into that sport, what do you look back and what do you, what have you learned that you can utilize to take you forward to accomplish the goals that you want to, to achieve for yourself from this point forward?
0: Mm-hmm. I've I've really learned how to push myself and how to use that um, and apply it into a team situation because as a gymnast is an individual sport you get to college and all of a sudden it's a team sport um, so that was a big learning curve that I think I'll always take with me because I'm a perfectionist I want nothing for the best for myself um, and that can come across. As a little pushy in a team setting and i've had to scale it back into really saying how can i make the team thrive into their best ability um how can i see different people's work ethics um and really turn it into the best environment and and as a freshman i think i came in as a leader and i didn't even realize it um so the more i i grew up in at the uf program the more i realized what impact each person have has and I can't wait till I'm in a team setting in the medical field doing the same type of thing um working to my strongest as an individual and then helping out the team um and I think that's what my career ended up being I didn't have my best senior year my junior year was actually my best year but my senior year I just wanted the team to have the best most fun experience ever and and luckily we really did we had a great connection
1: well I think that worked out for you because I saw one of the clips um where they did uh interviewed your teammates to describe Alex McMurtry in one word and things like selfless and supreme and uplifting and exceptional and humble and determined and resilient were the words that they used to describe you how did that make you feel when you heard that
0: honestly so incredible and proud um, of my personal growth it was funny because my nickname they used to literally call me my supreme and it was funny because I. <laughs> they would usually say it at kind of an ironic time like I would literally split the beam and they'd be like our supreme and they would just laugh so like they had my back no matter what happened um, and I think in terms of being a, a, a well-rounded student athlete that's everything I wanted to encompass so so hearing it back from your teammates and from your coaches. It makes me feel so good, um, and that's all I wanted. I wanted to be proud of the way my senior season ended, and and all those kind words definitely helped me understand that.
2: To your point, though, Alex, and again, if you just tuned in, this is too much grit to quit. I'm Dave O'Hara. Please, as always, be joined by my friend and co-host Shelley Till, and we have Alex McMurtry joining us today. And I, I will quote uh, our former or our previous guest and and your former roommate and friend uh, Josie Coolman. Uh, it is so intriguing mm-hmm. to me that you had the ex- a, a similar or a parallel path as Josie did in tennis very individual sport seemingly and then you know she wins a championship as a team player uh, for the University of Florida mm-hmm. on the tennis team even though she lost her individual match and how you had the discipline and are able to kind of go the same way Josie did, which is gymnastics very individual and, and you succeeded and, and you know, won those championships individually, but also as a team. And so when you talk about bringing that into a team concept of your practice as a physici- physician's assistant, and again, that's not an easy Quote, quote unquote come down as you mentioned you're very uh, control, controlling in a good way and you like to c- take control of situations and be a leader but but to your point sometimes mm-hmm. that can be looked at as oh that's coming on a little too strong or a little too strong you know, strongly." and I, what I like about that and what you and Josie both said to have that type of self awareness again at such a young age was that something again where you had to go through those mental steps and say okay I, there's something with me that I need to change as opposed to a lot of people get caught up Alex in the oh it's not my problem it's their problem. They're the ones who have the issue. I don't. Again, did you have to slow yourself down and go through that mental prep or those mental steps of, I need to change this? Or it kind of matriculated as you mm-hmm. went along?
0: Um, a little of both. Mostly um, learning as I went along. But I think that self awareness is something um, I wasn't actually good at until I reached high school, um, which again, probably sooner than many people do. But. Mm-hmm. I came to the self-awareness that I never knew I was good at gymnastics until I had a bad knee and then I realized wait a second this is worth fighting for I'm good enough to kinda keep pushing work harder Um, but I I never let it get to my head which I'm glad people describe me as humble because I I just ran with the punches I just kept going 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 and I never knew um, I had that much talent until until I was at the bottom of the bottom Um, and I knew I needed to work harder so I think that's the first time I I had that self-awareness that that light bulb moment and I think from there I just try to keep myself in check and i I think that came down to pushing myself harder and saying yes I'm hurting yes I'm sore yes I'm tired but look how far I've come and look how far I can go in the future so it's definitely been a process but um, I think it's only taken me farther, and I think some of the best leaders um, have that quality, that quality that you know where you're at, and you know where you want to be, and that you just got to figure out what's in between.
2: And Shelly, I'll let you it's wrap incredible. it up with Alex. we got about two minutes left with Alex's time. Yep. Greatly appreciate her carving us in, so Shelly, go ahead.
1: And Alex, it's incredible that you mentioned that it took you to be at your lowest of low to to, to figure that out, which is what happens to most of us, mm-hmm. but we always ask every guest this question, and so we'll we'll end with this, but if you can, it's a two-part question. I want you to hear your definition of grit and who exemplifies grit to you.
2: Hmm.
0: <laughs> mm. My definition of, of grit is working hard mentally and physically, even when you are so exhausted and so sore and you don't want to get up in the morning. I think it's pushing yourself past... Um, That state of exhaustion, and I think that comes into all of our sports. But I think that's what makes us the best athletes: having that grit, Um, even gritting your teeth to push yourself farther. And who exemplifies grit to me um, would be my childhood and life leader, as my dad. Um, He he was a the kindest man at home, but I knew he exemplified grit in the workplace and just facing so much adversity. Um, He grew up in a small town, went to University of Kentucky, and really rose to the top of his company. He worked for Kraft Foods because he knew there was a greater purpose, and that was providing for our family. Um, So I think a part of that that grit is to, to work hard for yourself, but for something greater than yourself, which was our family growing up, and that's same image I know Josie and I carried to, to represent the University
2: of Florida. And you know, it's so interesting that you say that because when Shelly and I first put this podcast and show together, that you know, my brother older brothers used to say to me when I was a kid, grit your teeth, grit your teeth. And that was always my first thought of gritty, You know, showing grit was actually showing it. But I'll tell you what, to borrow from the John Wayne movie, you truly are true grit. And uh, uh, Alex, Shelly and I could not be happier for you, and, and we greatly appreciate you carving out the time you were able to with us today. Alex McMurtry, so accomplished in the world of gymnastics, former national championship, uh, former national champion, also had the gym slam winning, uh, all, getting perfect tens on those events, and I love that, like when Shelly, uh, we saw that online when we were, our research. Alex, uh, is so much congratulations go to you, but also a continued success and your path on being a physician's assistant, and boy, we look forward to catching up with you whenever it's uh, available into your time, because what a story you have to tell, and thanks for sharing <laughs> it with Shelly and me today. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, for Alex McMurtry. Thank you, Alex. For Shelley Till, I'm Dave O'Hara and also Alex McMurtry. And Too Much Grit to Quit, please remember to subscribe, review, and rate us uh, for Too Much Grit to Quit. That's all from us. Thanks to all of you.
0: This is Too Much Grit to Quit. Sports personalities Shelly Till and Dave O'Hara bring you non-sugar-coated stories of the famous, not-so-famous, and everyday hometown heroes who have overcome adversity and incredible challenges to achieve success.
1: Too Much Grit to Quit. Discover the key to unlock the chains that keep you from achieving your dreams. Please subscribe, like, share, and download today.